because essentially digital marketing is being a data miner, being able to collect all sorts of data at scale and then make decisions using it. So um, what we found, and it was a big advantage for part of our success story at Rise and our rapid growth was we needed to recruit um, different types of, of professionals. Welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. Our show is produced by Algman Business Media, where we make having your own video podcast as easy as joining a call and sending an email. The stage is yours. Visit algman.com to learn more. Today on Data Leadership Lessons, we welcome Larry Fisher. Larry is the CEO of Rise Interactive, a fast-paced digital marketing agency in Chicago. With over 20 years of experience, his marketing expertise and roots in financial services have played a major role in the explosive growth of Rise as a data-driven agency. Larry, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me. Like we do with all our first-time guests, please take a moment to tell the audience a bit more about your career before Rise Interactive and how it led you to doing what you do now. Sounds great. So I spent the first part of my career in the financial services world as a trader, hedge fund manager, uh, entrepreneur. Um, and what we did and what I specialized in was collecting data, uh, analyzing that data in the financial markets, figure out what was working, and then do more of it. And um, at a certain point, I, I um, we were looking to really diversify our revenue stream. And I came in touch with um, John Morris, who is the founder of Rise, and we started talking about ways in which digital marketing could really affect our business. Um, digital marketing was completely new to me, but the interesting part of the conversation I had with John was he was doing campaigns, collecting data, analyzing it, figuring out what worked, and did more of it for his clients. So it was really the same skill sets that I had cultivated during my creating tr trading career, but being used in a completely different industry. And that was what really got me interested in switching from uh, the financial services world into the marketing world, because there was this unique opportunity in time. Um, and this was, um, you know, um, 2010, where the proliferation of data and social networks and platforms was just in its infancy. So really a great time to see if we could use data in similar ways to help clients manage their marketing budgets in a similar way that we did to managing dollars in the financial world. That, that's amazing to me because I, you know, I've had a background in financial uh, services and, and the trading space in Chicago uh, as well. And to make that leap into digital marketing is fascinating to me because I wouldn't see how the kinds of analysis or the, the kinds of, um, you know, analytics work that you would do would, would directly translate. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more about what it was that you were, um, that you were seeing there? Like how can you, can you draw a comparable between the financial industry and the marketing in terms of the kinds of analytics work that you would do? That's fascinating. Yep. So what we realized, it was more about the skill sets and the talent of the people that we were hiring. And what we started to look for was anyone who had an analytical background. So marketing firms traditionally didn't hire traders, hedge fund managers, accountants, lawyers, anyone who is trained with a certain type of analytical bent. And what we found was within a year's time, we could teach them the marketing part. So uh -huh. we really started to focus on 
almost exclusively bringing in this analytical ability and skill set because essentially digital marketing is being a data miner, being able to collect all sorts of data at scale and then make decisions using it. So um, what we found, and it was a big advantage for part of our success story at Rise and our rapid growth was we needed to recruit um, different types of, of professionals because there weren't um, a ton of agencies like us around that we could just hire from. So we really had to come up with creative ways to find the right talent and then to put them in a position with the right training and access to data that others just didn't have. And that combination really allowed us to, to deliver great results for our clients with a different perspective. With that, that makes we created... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, the um, that's amazing because as you talk about that, they kind of clicked in the back of my head. I've long said when we're doing data work in organizations, the marketing people are the ones that I want to get involved on the data teams because they have this understanding of imperfect data. They understand data-driven activities. They are constantly looking at those things. And it had never really occurred to me that that could work in the opposite direction, where the people that are good at doing data stuff would also be very good at marketing because they're good at the data stuff. And that's that makes a ton of sense to, to hear you put it that way. So that makes yeah. Thank you. We found that it was easier to find a really analytical person and teach them the marketing than to find someone who didn't have that skill set and do the reverse. So it's just something that clicked. And we really um, think back to 2008, 2010, when the financial markets were kind of up in a tizzy, we were able to recruit from banks and brokerage houses and because those folks were losing their jobs. And we were um, so fortunate that we were able to um, bring them on. And, and many of them have gone on to long careers within the marketing world and have become experts at digital analytics. And it's been it's been one of the um, things I'm most proud of in my uh, career at Rise and, and um, helping some of those folks who um, had a certain skill set that they weren't sure how to use, apply it in a completely different way. That's that's really cool. That's really cool. Can you tell me a little bit more about the the origin story of Rise and kind of how it's evolved? And, and I mean, now you've gone from being in the financial industry and granted, you're you're probably pretty good at doing the analytics with being a hedge fund manager and, and things like that. Um, but now you're the CEO of this you know digital marketing agency. Tell us about how Rise has evolved and and kind of what you're what you're doing uh, as a business today. Yep. We always had this idea that we wanted to help um, our clients make smarter marketing decisions using data. Mm -hmm. And um, it wasn't about um, just having the data, but figuring out what questions that we could answer using the data and how could we answer them faster than anyone else. So that was kind of um, when I joined Rise, that was the premise of what we were trying to build. And we had this idea that as the, um, the digital marketing landscape started to evolve, because if you go back, um, you know, 10 years ago, um, Google was in its infancy. Facebook was didn't have any an ad platform. So over time, we had to have discussions about should we be focused in these new channels with these new platforms? And each time we did, there was a whole nother slew of data that came along with um, the type of marketing. So we had this challenge of, how do we take all this data, make sense of it in channel, but also how do we help our clients make decisions of which channel is working better, which platform is working better, which creative is working better across all these different platforms. So we really set out to find a way to provide that data in an easy format 
that we could use to answer these questions at a speed that no one else really could. And that was the, the origin of what we set out to do. And starting back in our, in our, um, in our early days, we focused on search marketing where we had data coming from um, Yahoo and, and Google to now we have data coming in from search, social, programmatic, uh, connected TV, uh, amongst many other channels, email, affiliate, and so on. So the amount of data that we have um, to, to figure out what's working and how do we use that in real time became a bigger and bigger challenge and still is a big big challenge for many marketers out there. Well, well yeah, I, I, I just think about the complexity of these platforms now and the amount of data that's going around. Like, to, Even though they've tried to make some of these tools available and accessible for even small business owners like myself it's um it's overwhelming the 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 options are so overwhelming that navigating it in any kind of strategic way as a small business is is pretty much impossible so i imagine you need a certain amount of sophistication to create a strategy around that because any organization is going to have limited funding to put towards marketing and and sales growth and and things like that um and marketing just feels like you're a lot of times you're just dumping money into a void and you have no idea whether or not it's useful. How do, how do you help organizations get past what would be the default like that? So you're right. It is overwhelming. There's so many different technologies that have um, been developed over the last number of years and marketers have to make sense of it. They have to understand what technologies, what platforms, what strategies can really help drive their business outcomes, business growth. That's what it's really all about. So Mm -hmm. what we've really focused on is simplifying that conversation by taking all the data from all these disparate systems and pulling them into our technology, which we call Connects. Connects is that central location across all channels. And we've created a way to normalize the data so it's all in one data table which allows us to analyze and compare like tactics across all channels so that we can really dig deep into deciding which um, strategies, which tactics, which creative, whatever um, elements of the campaigns are, are working best so that we can shift dollars to the best performing tactics, the best performing campaigns in real time. Very much like what I did in the financial world. We created this um this strategy, which we call interactive investment management, which is managing your portfolio, your marketing portfolio, very much like a financial portfolio. We're constantly reassessing and constantly shifting money to the best performing placements, just like you would want to do in your in a stock portfolio, say where you want to have your most money in your best performing um, securities before you start to expand onto other securities that may not be as working as well. So this philosophy of using data and then realizing how complicated it was to make that all work pushed us into creating this technology that simplified that and helps our clients really um, use data in different ways. And it's we're, we're at a really unique moment in time because the macro environment is changing for all these platforms. The rules are changing. The way we do things are changing. Very much like when I stopped trading, there was an underlying change going on in the marketplace where um, electronic trading went to a whole nother level where the winners were the ones who had the fastest um, connections, the best access to data, the biggest processing power versus 
being able to just make smart investment decisions. And that underlying change was very disruptive um, for everyone involved in the trading world. And the, the parallel is the changes that are going on in, in the marketing world right now with um, changes to third-party cookies and how they're being used, um, the competitive landscape within these platforms and each of them creating bigger silos and walled gardens to try and keep marketers to see spending their budgets within their platform and not um, within other platforms. And the unique moment in time is, I believe, that um, these changes under the surface are going to cause a lot of change in how we um, can successfully market our, our businesses. And um, the, the trick is being able to understand that ecosystem and to make it even more complicated, we're going to a more real-time world. Marketing is has been a little bit behind in using real-time data, but we will be going to milliseconds in our um in our need to analyze and make decisions, very much like the financial systems went to, as I described before. So it's a dynamic, ever-changing world, but right now specifically, um, I see big big opportunities for those who understand this and have spent and invested in infrastructure that allows them to collect and analyze data faster than anyone else. That You blew my mind with this parallel between the financial and trading world and marketing because it is the same thing in a lot of ways because you can't control whether the stock is going to go up or down or you know you can't control whether that marketing message is going to do exactly what you want it to do for any individual or what have you. There's, there's that same amount of uncertainty and that same amount of like lack of control where now the, the parallels are, are obvious. That, that's so interesting to think about. I don't think I've ever really considered it quite from that lens and you could see if you take like you just did you you extend that analogy where we saw in the trading space where it did become like who has the least latency and the most processing power you're going to win in the trading game marketing is moving in that same direction and it's fascinating to see so it as a as a small business owner i'll put the entrepreneur hat on again that's really depressing because I feel like I don't know how I can compete to get attention to a small business with small funding, um, you know, and, and a, a niche market, most likely. What what do what do the small business owners then do if they can't become, you know, astute marketers like that? Or, or who maybe a better question is who works with an organization like Rise Interactive and, and how do you serve that market? And then what about those that you wouldn't serve directly? Yeah. So over the years, we've been fortunate to really um, uh, ride our wave of growth and and our sophistication to work with some of the biggest and best companies in the world. So we're so fortunate to work with companies like Ulta Cosmetics and Kaiser Permanente and Cardinal Health um, and Temper Sealy, to name a few. These are big, um, big multinational brands that have ton of data, ton of products that need help doing this sort of stuff. I think the the piece of advice that I would give is you really need to be focused. You really need to um, understand um, who you're marketing to. You have to understand what your differentiators are. And then when you start to use these digital platforms or any type of marketing campaign, understand the data that's available 
for you and with you to, to decide if things are working. And that's the great part about digital marketing is there's so much data, even for the smaller businesses, if you're doing this on a small scale, you should be able to understand which keyword is working better or um, you know, which display ad or email based on some simple KPIs that all of the platforms give you. I think the complexity comes when you start to really run multi-channel, multi-platform, multi-messaging campaigns, um, not to mention if you're looking at different geos and you have different budgets and all sorts of complexity that gets piled on top. And that's exactly what we have tried to do is to simplify that process with first our approach that I described earlier, and then second with the technology that helps us make sense of this in a way that allows us to make decisions in real time to figure out how best um, to you know grow our businesses. But the focus for a small business, it's really a focus. Many small businesses look to start with marketing and they think they need to go and spend in multiple places at the same time, but their budgets don't support that. So mm -hmm. you really, you know, find something that works and maximize the most out of that before you start to go on to anything else, because most likely um, trying to get scale out of the best performing tactic is going to lead to better results before you think you need to do everything. And that's kind of our philosophy, as I mentioned earlier, this interactive investment management is spend the most money in the thing that's working first. And if you find the thing that's working best and your budget can't is, isn't big enough to scale that whole tactic, well, don't do anything else. Just keep pounding that one idea. And, and then hopefully by the success allows you to have a bigger budget and allows you to expand to other placements or other ideas. That, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. Dabble a little bit, try to figure out something that works and then double down on the thing that's working to the point where you, you've run out of budget or, or it stops working and you need to do something if, else. If or... you run the mathematical equation around that process, I have yet to find something that makes it you know, obsolete. And yeah. it's something that um, I've said for years is like, is I'm, I'm waiting and, and keenly waiting because of my experiences where things stop working to see something that works better. And I, we've yet, we've yet to see that. So I'm, I'm really proud of our team and um, the work that they do to drive performance for so many great clients. So how does how does the creative side of marketing overlay this? Like, is is do you do like the the creative side at, at Rise as well, or is that something that you do the creative in one place and then you figure out your channel strategy separately? How does how does that all fit together? That's a really good question. So we do do some creative, but taking a step higher than I, I've kind of I've wrote. Um, really thought a lot about what it takes to be successful in the future. And, and there's four things, four areas that I think marketers need to really focus on. The first is fueling your brand engine, right? You need to have a great brand with the, and, and enough content to share out in all these different platforms to, so that people know about you and so that you can drive your business. And um, that's the full gamut from creating a, a um, search ad to a display banner to a TV commercial. You need to be able to feel your brand, right? And because of the changes in the marketplace, the need for more and more content continues to grow. So having a strategy that allows you to do that at scale is really important. The next thing you need to be able to do is really um, future-proof your audience strategy. And a lot of these platforms have targeting and audiences that you can preset and get your ads in front of. But like I said earlier, with um, the rules changing and the importance of first party data, 
meaning the data that you control within your company, um, you need to have a really good strategy of how you're going to make sure that you, when you have that content and you're fueling your brand engine, that it goes in front of the people that are going to be interested in your service or product. Um, the next element is really understanding what I talked about with this real-time data infrastructure so that you can collect all this data and be able to act on it. And it takes an investment to be able to do that. And then the last part is you need to be able to prove it. You need to make sure that you can show your CFO or your CEO that this stuff is working and that it's really driving business impact. So when you take those four elements together, I really believe focusing on that allows you to have uh, the insight to understand where the marketplace is going. And without going too much into the weeds, um, everything kind of layers into those four areas. And if you can have a strategy that, that really is focused on those, uh, you'll be focused in the right areas to have great success. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, do you have any rules of thumb in terms of how much budget or how much energy uh, organizations should put towards these kinds of efforts? Or does it vary by industry or, or what have you? I'm just trying to think of like the people that are out there running businesses that are like, yeah, I probably should be doing more than I am, but I don't know what that amount is. And I, I've got other work to do. We're busy already. You know, what, what rules of thumb can you give to folks on that? Yeah, we always talk about that. It starts with your goals and your budget. You really have to understand what you're trying to achieve and how much money you have to spend. And then it really becomes a math equation. You figure out what your average order value is, or your, um, and then you figure out what your conversion rate is, and you find out what your costs are from, from, from your media, and then that spits out into a cost per conversion, a return on investment. Um, some people talk of return on ad spend, um, cost per lead. If you're more of a, a service-oriented business that's driving leads and instead of revenue, it really starts with understanding that equation. And this is how this is what we need to do in order to achieve success. This is how much money we can spend. And many times that conversation leads to, well, based on that information we don't have enough money to even make this math equation yield the returns that we're expecting. So then we have to go back to the drawing board and start to say, okay, well, what changes do I make? Can I increase my conversion rate, which then allows me to get there? And what activity do I need to do to do that? Or um, do I need to increase my average order value by bundling products or, or tr focusing on higher margin, higher price point products. So there's a whole slew of conversations that really come from understanding your goals and your budget and, and understanding the math around will the plan that we're putting in place mathematically allow us to be successful. And mm -hmm. that to me is always the starting place to have these conversations. And, and many times people don't know what their goals or budgets are, and that's totally fine. But the conversations about understanding that lead you to these great conversations of, are we, you know, in the right area? Are we doing the right activity? Do we need to raise more money? Do we need to shift budgets from other places in the business to fuel the growth? And um, having those conversations to me is a lot of fun and really helps businesses get to where they want to go. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And, and I imagine that you have to become pretty astute at helping people navigate all of these questions because, you know, the answer may be clear of like, yes, we, we, we want to have a data-driven marketing strategy, but there's so much in between where I am today and that happening. I don't 
you know, I don't know where to go. And that, that's, that's where that, that consultative side of, of your organization would have to be, um, you know, pretty good as well. It's not just crunching numbers. It's helping guiding, you know, these businesses to a place of, of additional sophistication. And I think it comes with, you know, it comes with growth. Like we, as we mature as organizations and as we grow as organizations, new challenges present themselves that, you know, the previous year weren't relevant, but now it's it's one more uh, leveling up. One one question that that came up as you were talking about that is there a difference, or is there something that we should be thinking about in terms of you know marketing for a brand or an organization level versus what that brand or organization are selling? So should I be thinking about first getting people to know about my overall brand, or should I say, hey, I've got yeah. widget ABC that I want to go sell in the marketplace? which should I do first or it, it, does it depend? You know, that conversation about goals is really important. It's okay to have multiple goals. You might have a branding goal that says, I want to get this much awareness or reach as far as people understanding our company, but we also want to sell this much product at this price point with this amount of profitability. So that conversation about goals really starts with, yeah, most companies do have multiple goals. Most companies have to think about it and provide the right allocation of resources, time, or budgets to make sure you can hit those goals. So that initial conversation of really understanding what you're trying to achieve and making sure that your strategic plan allows you to be successful is, is really important. But it's totally, it's totally fine to have a branding goal and a revenue goal, you know, because if that's the strategy is that, you know, you people who know your brand love your product, but there's a ton of people who don't know your brand yet. So how do we do both? How do we sell as many as we can today, but also try and increase the amount of people who've never heard about us? And then it's about increasing customer lifetime value. How much money do I have to spend to acquire a customer and how much money will they um how much profitability does each customer provide to the business? Again, it comes back to that um, that measuring between what's most important as far as your goal setting, how much you can afford to spend, how much you can um, you know spend to acquire a new customer, and then how much you can spend to acquire the right type of customer that's going to have the biggest long-term um, impact to your business. And I think. Um, Many times in marketing, we have been pushed to being so short-term focused that it's changing the decision-making um, that we're making because we need to show results today versus how do you build a brand? How do you invest over the long run? How do you have a longer time horizon? I think is something really important to think about. Well, and I, I would say that that short-term mindset tends to permeate into the leadership of our organizations as well. It's not just marketing, but it's how we're going about running our businesses. And it's it's always fascinating to me to see how how organizations evolve and they as they grow. It's like you you have some success, you scale it up, you continue to grow, and then you reach this point where you decide, well, we've succeeded in doing all of this stuff. Let's change everything that made us good and completely change that value proposition for our customers. And then we wonder why they end up out of business five years later. And it's like that strategic side, I keep coming back to that, that, that thought around, hey, if it works, do more of it and keep expanding there as opposed to trying to find something else that you know is, is less likely to work. You're, you're better off 
having that focus. And I think that that applies not just in a marketing sense, but I think it applies kind of broadly strategically as we run our businesses day in and day out. I think we get we get too encumbered by these shiny objects a lot of the time and we lose our focus in a number of different areas. Yep. Every single time in my career, and I've run many businesses where my businesses have struggled, it always goes back to we got away from the basics of what made us good. So, so many times I'm focusing, we can't forget about the basics. So, you know, in, in our agency business, we make it really simple. We need to win new business. We need to grow that business. We need to renew that business and we need to innovate. And when we get away from thinking about how do we do those four things, we inevitably struggle. And then when we try and figure out why we're struggling, it's, ah, we forgot about, you know, renewing the business. We forgot about how important our customers are. Let's go back to remembering that. What are we going to do to re-engage? And those are the lessons that I think you learn with experience of being an entrepreneur or running a business that it really is some, a handful of basic things that make you successful. Um, and when you forget about them, you usually don't do as well. Yeah, I think that's that's sage advice. And and I think about it from, you know, putting the entrepreneur hat on again. And I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs uh, that listen to the show. You know, I think about earliest stage, right? You grow through word of mouth. You get something out there. You kind of, you know, get some initial successes. Um, but then you reach this point where that network driven growth is not enough to sustain your growth pro, you know, prospects uh, even further. And that's when you need, um, if you haven't already, you need to be doing marketing. You need to be doing, how do I reach a new community of people beyond just that word of mouth that got us to where we are? As one does that, and obviously each business is going to be different, the right budgets, the right goals, and, and, and some of those other things that you've talked about, you know, all that makes sense. One thing that, that, I'm curious your thoughts on is what kind of time horizon should I as an entrepreneur be thinking about if I'm starting to get serious about marketing? What kind of time frame should I expect for, you know, my first X amount of dollars to start to come back to me in sales? And I'm sure that there's a sales cycle component to that, but like I want to be able to see in the data results. And it may not be the sales cycle completing, but how quickly do you see like how what Maybe the right question here is, is how do you learn what is effective? Like how much time do you give each of those choices that you're trying to find? What is that effective channel for my organization? How do you know? When do you know? What 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 are those nuggets of wisdom that you get to say, hey, we're onto something here. Let's double down on that. Yeah. What you said is really important is you have to understand your sales cycle, because if you have a long sales cycle and you expect to be able to see what's working in, in months and your sales cycles years, there's a mismatch. So you really have to have a strategy that allows things to work. When you bring it down to like a transactional purchase or a transactional type strategy, it usually takes, you know, three months at least to get enough data where you can have statistical significance to see what's working. Hmm. That's also taking into consideration how much you're spending. So if you have a small budget and you're kind of putting your you know toes in the water, it's gonna take a little bit longer for you to have that mass size of data so that you can, with confidence, make decisions. If you have a huge budget and you're getting a ton of data coming through, it's easier to make those decisions a little bit quicker. But I've also really tried to focus on, you know, if you think about the, the um, life cycle of a CMO is getting shorter and shorter at companies, and it's causing people to have shorter time horizons on, and letting things breathe and work. 
I think the best marketers are those really who understand that and have put a plan in place to let things work, let things not work. You have to, you know, every not every tactic or strategy will work, but if you can figure out which ones are working and then add and then cut off the ones that aren't working, you can really start to, to feel your growth in a bigger way. Yeah, and, and, and I imagine, too, that it's it's there are maybe proxy is not the right word, but there are different metrics that you can use to see evidence that things are trending in the right direction. You can look at web traffic. You know, did we see from this marketing channel, um, because the data is so rich, you can start to see, hey, we're driving an extra 10% of web traffic because of this campaign. It may not have led to sales yet because our sales style, our sales cycle is six months or two years or whatever it is, but we're seeing enough traffic and the phone is ringing more or we're getting more chatter, uh, more engagement on our social media or, or what have you, there's got to be some things that you can start to point to to say, hey, there's there's some signs that there's, you know, there's some smoke. We haven't seen the fire yet, but we're, we're seeing some smoke. Um, and so I imagine that because of the richness of data, we're, we're able to start seeing some of those things probably pretty quickly when, when campaigns go live. Most definitely. And you start to have conversations about some of the softer KPIs, like how much would you pay for someone to sign up for your email newsletter? What's the value of someone doing that? So let's just say it's a dollar. You're willing to spend a dollar for every person to do that. Well, now you can you can start to ask yourself, well, you know, what marketing tactics can I do that yield someone to sign up for my email newsletter where I can spend a dollar? So you start to assign values across a visit to your website, to a newsletter sign up, to a sale, and a bunch of other KPIs that would be appropriate for your business. And you start to watch and you start to understand, okay, today it's $5 per newsletter sign up. Okay, how do I get down, down to four? Are there things that I can do, strategies to, to optimize against that and make it um, more efficient so that I can spend more money across, you know, other, you know, to, to drive more uh, consumers to our site? And it's this, com this continual process of, of understanding the cost per whatever you're looking at and then how do you make it better? How do you how do you optimize to drive efficiency and scale? And it's a that's a process that never really ends. You're always trying to figure out how do I scale and how do I do it more efficiently? Yeah. And and so as, as I think about it from like a, a services um, you know, point of view for a lot of the, the audience out there is, is running a services business, whether it be consulting or are just independent consultants or, or what have you, you know, it where might they start like what what kinds of things are a good first place to start putting those dollars to try things out and and to do you know maybe they want to grow uh i think a new you know an e-newsletter is is a great place that a lot of um you know even very small businesses are you know investing in and and, and putting together and, and trying to get the word out where where should they start or how do they, how do they get going on trying something um you know, even even at the at the most basic level. So there's some really great um, free tools out there, especially like in Google. You can go to Google and enter in some of the keywords or, or categories that you that your business works in, and you can get charts to show you the trends of traffic to those keywords. So if there's words that you can see an upward trend, there's a lot of interest. Um, there's probably a better chance for if you get involved with from a paid perspective of paying for those keywords or building out content on your website so that you show up organically for those areas where there's lots of traffic. That's a really good place to start is 
to understand where the demand is and how do you tap that demand? Like, how do you make sure that when someone's raising their hand for your service, that you're showing up? So from a digital marketing perspective, there's lots of data out there that can start to point to trends or cost of cost per clicks or different, all different um, um, sorts of KPIs that tell you competitor information. Um, there's tools that will show you which competitors are spending or are showing up for certain keywords. And I can bet you that if someone is paying money to Google to show up for that keyword, it's because they're making money. So if you see that your competitors are doing it, it's also a great place to start because no one's doing this because it's it's not making them money. So getting that competitive intelligence and seeing what others are doing is also a great way to kind of put your strategy together because um, there's a lot of really rich information um, that you can glean and, and figure out when you see what others are doing. And it, and it lets you shortcut some of that trial and error, right? Like if you know, hey, this is a starting point, maybe we want to differentiate beyond that, but it's, it's kind of like uh, trying to time the market. You're probably not going to outthink all of the best minds in the financial industry to time that market better. You may be better off taking a buy and hold strategy and um, you know, continuing to allow your investments to, to gain over time. Don't try to outdo the people that do this professionally. And especially in this world where, you know, doing marketing is becoming ever more a technology and data driven game. We shouldn't think we can outthink it. Let's go and do some things that are proven methods while putting our own unique spin on it. And maybe it's not a channel strategy that is our unique spin, it's the copy, it's the content, the creative side that allows us to differentiate ourselves using the same channels that have proven effective for those others that probably have bigger budgets than us if we're just getting started. Yeah, there's great information that you can glean from if you do a search for, let's just say you're selling auto insurance and you do a search for auto insurance and you see that a couple different companies, one person has um, an offer that they provide for $4.99 a month and then another is for $3.99. Well, you have to wonder if your ad copy is going to be is going to be received well when you're much more expensive than your competitor. So even just trying to pick up on these things and changing ad copy to make sure that yours has the most differentiated and the most interesting so that when consumers do these searches, you're showing up in a way that is more interesting than your competitors. Um, so there's lots of this, lots of this information that you can, this is all just from doing a little legwork and digging in and really paying attention to the competitive landscape. I think competitive intelligence is so important and because you can see all this within digital. If you're paying attention, you can really get some great ideas of how you can differentiate your story and your messaging. So I feel like in this space, the digital marketing agencies are like the pros because you guys do this as a function in your business. And yet you probably also need to do this for yourselves. And obviously I'm not going to ask you to divulge any trade secrets or anything like that, but how do you guys go about doing it for yourselves? Like, I assume you're doing this, you're, you're, you know, practitioners for yourselves as well. What are the things that you, you find are, are, are good places to put some of your um, marketing energies into? Yeah, very much so. We have a pretty robust account-based marketing strategy. It really starts with understanding who our target audiences are. We had to narrow things down so that we recognize we weren't trying to be um, every, be everything to everyone. Once we came up with our target audiences, we started to make sure we understand our core differentiators of our business. 
so that when we start to market to people, it's very clear why they should engage with us. And then from there, it's a constant barrage through email, through paid media, through content, through podcasts like this, mm -hmm. getting the word out to making sure that we're just not the best kept secret. And we have a multifaceted approach and the data that we get from all these different channels allows us to make decisions just like I was talking about. How do we allocate and shift dollars to the best performing, uh, the best performing channels to make sure that we can reach and exceed our goals? And um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun when you start to see um, uh, an account that you've been targeting for two years and you've been showing them content and getting in front of them and trying to show them who you are and then they call out of the blue and they're asking for your help. I mean, it's so gratifying because it doesn't, it does take time. These things, it's a nurturing. It's, you know, just because we're marketing to someone doesn't mean they're in the market for a new agency at that moment in time. So it's really about uh, making sure that when they are ready for new agency, that we're in the consideration set. And if um, we are in the consideration set, we're hopeful that our approach and the way and our great team of really smart people, analytical people, um, would be a great asset for that company. But it does take time. Um, and like I said earlier, we try to practice what we preach of being patient and letting things work. And having the right data allows you to make the right decisions, especially when it's slower, it's not working. That's where you really need to dig in and having the data allows you to, to stick with it. And I've seen time and time again how that plays out great for us. Yeah, and and I think a lot about you know marketing and sales, and I think any entrepreneur does. They probably think about it more than they spend dollars on it. But I I think you you make a really good point around you know being you know the best kept secret is not the way to build a business, and and you want to get out in front of folks, and and you want to. Be top of mind when they are in the market. You're never going to sell something to a person who doesn't want to buy something, right? And and so, just being in that sphere of awareness is is clearly an important part of ultimately driving more sales. Is there an amount like can you do too much marketing? Can you get too annoying about it or too um, you know become too aware or, or too obnoxious for people or is that something that is like baked into people's brains that isn't really a thing like you're you're so far away from that most likely that nobody is is going to worry about you being too uh too in in their face what what is the truth behind that yeah i mean there's definitely creepy factors i mean i think we've all um you know, either talked about something or type or search for something, and then you're getting a constant barrage of companies who are trying to sell your stuff, and it almost feels like intrusive. The real focus is about providing a value exchange. Hmm. If you're providing value to your consumers through providing them content, teaching them something, some sort of coupon or offer, um, consumers typically feel good about that. And understanding what value you're bringing and making sure that it's it's makes it so that it's worthwhile that when um, a consumer is marketed to that they feel good about it but you can definitely um, be too in someone's face you can definitely be there too often and there's frequency caps and, and strategies that most marketers put in place to make sure that they're not being seen especially digitally over and over again because there's definitely a point of diminishing returns um, but there's also um, data that says you need 
X amount of touch points before someone would consider being a customer. So it's definitely a balancing act. And if you're focused on providing value to your consumers and you really care about them, you can find the sweet spot to make sure they feel good about being marketed to. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's great advice. And and I think about like social media right now still feels like despite all of the advances, it still sometimes feels like it's in its infancy because you'll see that same advertisement scrolling on your Facebook feed over and over again. You're like, just stop already. I don't care about this thing, but you continue to show it to me. And, and I have to imagine we're going to get uh, smarter and smarter about that. Although I have also had the, this experience. I just was talking to my wife about this yesterday. It's like ever have that experience where you're like you're on your phone you're scrolling through social media or whatever and accidentally you hit a link to something and then it pops up that advertisement and you go to that page and, and then you realize for the next however long of time they're going to think you're super interested in this because you had this errant click and that's what's going to happen and and that still seems to be like we are um a little bit early despite all of the the um the advances some things seem awfully simple still in terms of the way some of these things get actually um manifested in in the various algorithms and and, and that stuff do you see that uh, or have any anecdotes on, on from your perspective on, on weird things like that that can happen some sometimes yeah i mean that happens all the time just as consumers we all know that that happens and or sometimes you see ads too frequently or there's a brand that's just in your face and um, I think that's where people have the option to, um, you know, take your name off a list or to opt out, you know, and I think a lot of the privacy discussions that are going on now are trying to give consumers options to control that in, a, in an easier way so that if you don't want to be part of some sort of campaign that you have the capability to um, opt out and um, brands need to to pay attention to that because there's all sorts of fines and and laws that um, are trying to protect consumers from those things happening. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I suspect that you're probably not opposed. Like the marketers, you probably think are, are they would be the ones opposed to having some of these controls. But to you, I, I imagine you want to be as effective as possible. And people who don't want the, to hear that message are not going to be the people you want to hit with that message, right? And so there's there's probably some benefit even from the marketer's perspective of having some of these controls and, and, and all of that in place to, to be more efficient in, in what you do as well. Yeah. Like I said, if you provide a value exchange, it usually works out pretty well. If, if you're not, and you become, you know, that annoying brand, then, you know, you, you'll see it in the numbers, you'll see it in your results, but those brands that, you know, really provide value, have a cause, some sort of social, um, promotion that they can show that they're, you know, aligning with your, your values and morals, like they do really well, you know, they do really well. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, we're, we're kind of out of time and I think that's a good note to close on that, that whole value exchange and recognizing that, you know, the marketing side of, of what organizations need to do is an important part of, of building successful organizations. And, and your company at, at Rise Interactive is here to help those organizations that, are not going to be able to do this on their own. And I think that's that's more and more of us, given all the, the complexities. So I want to thank you for, for being on the show today and, and sharing this wisdom. I think it's going to be really useful for, for everyone out there. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I really appreciate um, the opportunity to share. And um, if anyone um, feels that we could be of a bigger help, just let us know. Outstanding. And thank you all. 
for joining us today. And, and you will find more information and links in the show notes. Dive deeper with my book at dataleadershipbook.com and use promo code AlgmanDL at the Dataversity Online Training Center for 20% off your first purchase. And if you enjoy our show and would like your own but don't know where to start, visit algman.com to learn how we make having your own video podcast as easy as joining a call and sending an email. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact.